Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. And this is Love to Tell the Story. God gives us life. God gives us love. God gives us a law. And God gives us his name. It's God's name that's the subject of today's message. It's a message based on Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And it's a message that begins with some thoughts about just who exactly God is to you and me. Well, here's a question for you this morning as we're starting out. And it is a question that I trust is simple and as straightforward enough to elicit an easy answer. Here it is. Here it comes. Who is God to you? Okay, maybe that's not such an easy question. But I will tell you this, friends, it is an important one. After all, in the words of the 20th century pastor and author A.W. Tozer, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God says the most important thing about us. In other words, if, say, we tend to think of God as loving and compassionate and giving, odds are is this is how it's going to be reflected in our own attitudes towards others. And, and by the way, how we see ourselves. Conversely, and this is sadly true of a whole lot of people I've known over the years, and moreover, a whole lot of people I see out there right now. If we think of God in terms of God being demanding, disappointed, detached, indifferent, unpleasable, if that's a word, judgmental, if we tend to view God in those terms, we will often carry ourselves in this life as not only disappointing and worthy of judgment, we might also consider ourselves, even maybe without realizing it, to be judgmental, indifferent to the needs of people around us, sometimes even bigoted in a way. So to put this another way, this also comes from a W. Tozer. We become like what we worship. He says, quote, We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. Were we able to extract from any person a complete answer to the question, what comes to mind when you think about God? We might actually predict with certainty the spiritual future of that person. Now, I remember back in seminary being introduced to the God of theology. Now, by that I mean the language we were taught to use in reference to God was grand. It was philosophical in nature. Beginning with what I heard wonderfully referred to this week as all the omnis. That is, God the omnipotent. That is all-powerful. God the omniscient. 
that is all-knowing. And God, the omnipresent, God being everywhere and with everyone at once. All of which, I hasten to add here, is true. All of which is borne out in Scripture, and all of which accurately depicts the immutability, there's another theological term, the unchanging quality of the divine. Now, that was important stuff for me as a seminarian to learn. It, to this day, informs my understanding of who God is, and it is still very much at the center of my Christian faith to this very day. The problem, however, and it was a problem both for me and for a whole lot of my classmates in those days, is that all those highfalutin words in my theology books about the nature of God didn't always connect with the God that I had come to know in my life. The God that I felt walking with me as I was walking through the northern Maine woods on a cold November morning, the, the, the leaves crunching beneath my feet. The God that I literally could see across the expanse of the Milky Way and as, as the preside meteors fell from the sky. The God that... I and so many of my classmates had heard inside of ourselves calling us to ministry. The omni-God, you see, that we were reading about in our studies just seemed way too big. Too big for me. Too disconnected from my own life and in my own relatively minor concerns of life. And that's how it was for a lot of us. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this was a crisis of faith on my part. It was for a few of my classmates. I, I remember one in particular, a young woman, who uh, we had systematic theology. We had Old Testament. We had systematic theology. And then we had lunch. And this, this poor girl walked into the cafeteria every day crying. And I do recall us saying, yeah, yeah, we, we, we understand. It was because a lot of us neophyte seminarians were actually wondering aloud if as pastors we could ever begin to live up to this huge vision of the Almighty. It actually took our Old Testament professor, you've heard me speak of him before, Stephen Sixai, God rest his soul, to put all of this in perspective for me. Never forget, he said to us in that wonderful Hungarian Hebrew accent of his, and by the way, with a wry smile on his face, never forget that when Jesus talked to his heavenly father, he referred to him as Abba, which is a name like Daddy. Now, as I recall, that was just kind of an off-the-cuff comment on Dr. Sixeye's part, but I never forgot it. It had a huge impact on me. It was incredible. Our mighty, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God had a name. And for Jesus, at least, that name was something akin to Dad, to Daddy. And for me, a name like that brought the divine as close to me as my very being. 
Now, actually, there's a whole lot of names used for God throughout the Bible. Each one of those names reflecting something of the character of God in the context of God's story. For instance, El Shaddai. You remember the song Amy Grant years ago, El Shaddai, El Shaddai? That word translates to God Almighty, Elohim, which means God. More than that, it means the God, or Adonai, which is, in fact, the Hebrew translation for my Lord. Each one of these names, you see, and so many others you can find in Scripture, they say something about who God is, something more than what's put forth by some theologically descriptive word. It is the difference between, say, describing my wife as a spousal unit and giving you the last four digits of her social, as the people on the phone always want, as opposed, say, to telling her her name is Lisa, that she is my wonderful partner, she is the love of my life for the past 35-plus years. Now, that first description might well identify her as a person, albeit in a strict, impersonal, and utterly unromantic fashion. But the second at least begins to tell you everything you need to know about what Lisa means to me and who she is to me. Well, friends, that's how it is with all these names for God. But here's the thing. This is worth paying attention to. These are the names we've given God. Both biblically and historically, these are the names that God is known by. That has been part of the historical relationship we have, God. And though those names do go a long way in helping us to understand more about God, if you really want to know who God is, first, you have to realize that God has a name. It's the name that God calls himself. It's the name that God gives to Moses. And that name is Yahweh. Yahweh, which is translated as I am what I am in Hebrew. Or perhaps more directly, I will be what I will be. Okay. Now, not that you were asking here, but here's a little Hebrew tutorial for you. The root of the Hebrew word for Yahweh is the same as the Hebrew word to be. So when we refer to Yahweh, the proper term is he is. And by the way, don't get hung up on the gender aspect of this. That's just sort of our English thing that we have placed into the Hebrew. The translation is he is. But when God refers to himself, it is I am. When Moses said, who shall I say spoke to me, God says, tell them I am has spoken to you. And by the way, here's another fun fact. All through the English Bible, whenever you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, in capital letters, that's actually meant to be printed as Y-H-W-H. That's four consonants because there's no vowels in the Hebrew language. And that's what represents the word Yahweh. 
And the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh, was always thought of as a sacred, unpronounceable word. And so the original English translators opted to substitute the capital L-O-R-D instead. And here's something else interesting, something I just read this week. There's a Hebrew scholar out there by the name of Ron Allen who believes, his research believes that that the original pronunciation, if there is, of the word Yahweh was intended as a whisper, an awe of hushed reverence towards God. And it really is meant to be said, breathing in and out as though it were God's spirit speaking into the world. And it actually seems kind of poetic when you think about it. Incredibly spiritual and utterly right. Yahweh. Isn't that something? Yahweh. This is God's name, beloved. I am Yahweh. And it's in that incredible name that we really and truly come to know who God is. And what does that mean? Well, to begin with, realize that God's name is in the present tense. In other words, God simply is. God is always in the present tense. God is here, now and ever and always part of this present existence. In fact, there is nothing that separates or threatens God's existence. Never has, never will be. God was never not. God will never cease to be. And God never needs anything from us in order to continue to exist because God is. God always is. In a way, you see, this is God's own way of letting us know that God is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipotent. But you see, here's the thing. It goes far, far beyond that. God's name, you see, this name, Yahweh, is meant to be personal. It's meant to create a connection between him and ourselves and to be a part of our building a relationship with God. In other words, to quote Rene Schleffler, God is not soulless or distant or uncaring. God wants us to know his name. <coughs> In a prior church I served, there was this man in the congregation whose name was Wilbur. And I know that his name was Wilbur because for the first four or five months I was pastor of that church, every single Sunday after worship, he came through the line and he told, shook my hand and he told me his name was Wilbur. You see, and he told me this. He explained, explained this to me very well. He said he recognized that brand new pastors have a hard time remembering everybody's name in the congregation. And he wanted me to make absolutely sure I would remember his. My name is Wilbur, he said. And I'll tell you what, it worked. Not only was he a great church member, he was a big supporter of the church's ministry, and he was a good friend to me. 
Many was the time that Wilbur would turn up at the church office because just he had a feeling that I needed a friend. Because you see, when you know somebody's name, that changes everything, doesn't it? You know the person, and when you know the person, you build the relationship. And this is what God wants for us. He wants that relationship. Renee Schleffler again. God is saying, I'm not just the God. I'm Yahweh. Yahweh. And you can call me by my name. I am not indifferent. I want a relationship with you. I want to know you. And says Yahweh, I want you to know who you are as you are. It is very much worth noting, you know, that in the text we shared this morning that Kay just read to us in Exodus, Moses had already lived the better part of his lifetime, almost 40 years out, as Scripture puts it, beyond the wilderness in the land of Midian. The days of Moses having been raised as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter with all the privileges and the perks of being an Egyptian prince, all of that's long behind him as well as Moses reclaiming as of his own identity as Hebrew and his subsequent determination to do something about the horrible slavery under which his people were living. An effort which, of course, ended so miserably that Moses was forced to flee into the desert, presumably to live out the rest of his days tending sheep and really trying to forget that he ever tried to make a difference in the world. I actually love Frederick Beatner's description of Moses. You know, traditionally we always think of Moses as resembling Charlton Heston, you know. The long gray beard, you know, that, that very stalwart, stoic look. Beatner says that Moses probably instead looked a lot more like Tebby the Milkman after 10 rounds with Muhammad Ali. But it's Moses, old used up, beat up, beat down Moses, who comes face to face with the Almighty in the guise of a burning bush. It's Moses who that God calls to deliver his people Israel from the Egyptians. And it's Moses who then digs in his heels, who finds countless reasons not to do what God is calling him to do. And it's God in turn who reassures and persists in moving Moses forward. It's God who tells Moses, and he tells you and me his name. Isn't it interesting, friends, how this always seems to be the kind of people that God calls? We'll do another sermon series one of these days about all the reluctant prophets that God has called. Flawed people like Moses. And like you and me, who are burdened with doubt and indecision. Reverend Dr. Leanne Van Dyke of Columbia Theological Seminary in Georgia says this very well. She writes, we resist God's call. We come up with excuses. We procrastinate. 
we obfuscate, we deliberate, and we frustrate the clear call of God. We drag our feet, she says. It's true. We do. But God persists and promises, I will be with you. And a few verses later in the same chapter, God even identifies a new and mysterious divine name. I am who I am. Or maybe, Van Dyke says, the translation is better. Whenever God is being God, God will be the kind of God that God is. Let me say that again. Whenever God is being God, God will be the kind of God that God is. Who else could God be but the kind of God that God is? The point is that no matter what the translation happens to be, no matter how we look at that name, it is a name that signals promise. It is a name that tells us that no matter who we are, no matter what our situations or misgivings or uncertainties might happen to be, no matter how much we might fight his presence and power in our lives, the good news is God is. That God will be the kind of God that God is. And he, we know that because we have given us, he has given us a name. I am. What's the word in that song? He is the great I am. And that will ever and always be the God who is a part of our lives, a God that is in our world, the God that exists here and now, the God who will bring us his law, which we'll talk about next time, and the God who will always bring us his love. May our thanks be unto that God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, God's Name, which was recorded at our August the 8th service of worship at East Church. Now, if you happen to be visiting New Hampshire this summer and you're looking for a place to worship, or if you're looking for a church home, we would love to have you join us at East Church. We do gather for worship each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, or if you prefer, you can always find us online via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. Either way, I think you'll be glad you came, and I would love the opportunity to greet you. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of Love to Tell the Story. I'm Michael Lowry. I thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. Talk to you soon.